Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Quartz 96FM. Oh, lovely, lovely morning out there. Beautiful morning. Make the most of it because I don't think it's going to last over the next few days. The weather app's not looking too great. My own particular favourite that I keep mentioning, the dark sky. Not overly optimistic for the next few days, but then a real improvement in the few days leading up to Easter. Uh, As soon as it plots it out a bit better, I'll give you more on it. But this is going to be the start, uh, the beginning of the end, as it were. The next couple of days, not great at all, I'm afraid. So enjoy the morning. Good morning, 1850-715-996. The number to call, the text to WhatsApp, 083-396-9696. Your email, opinion at 96fm. .ie. Twitter is at OpinionLine96. Remember our hashtag, I should really mention that more, OL96. And on the Court 96 FM Facebook page, you can message us anytime, anyplace, anywhere, as it were. But please do mark your messages for the attention of the Opinion Line. Something I also would like you to do more of as well is to send us in your WhatsApp voice notes. And sometimes we get a lot of comments here in the course of the day and it isn't easy to read them all but if you want to pop us a very fast voice note you know you mightn't have the time to take a call or you mightn't have the time to pull in or the kids are screaming around the house and you just don't have the time to take a phone call make a voice note for me and pop it in uh, to the show all right lots of stuff coming up this morning about um <laughs> there's a new book out called the invisible job um and i've been listening to various podcasts about it and I've been reading various reviews of it and as as a father of two uh, and they're grown up now, they're young adults uh, I'm thinking to myself Christ, I never knew that all this was going on back in the day and it's kind of about sharing out the the, the duties in in parenthood and, and the, the, the job that he never sees her doing. He never sees it. It's happening around and about him 24-7, but he never sees it. There's a, a book's been written about that. And also, you know this, there's a thing out there now, it's a, a phrase I've heard in the last few months, um, and I like it because I finally am able to put a name on something that has bugged the living hell out of me for years. It's a thing called toxic positivity. It bugs me. And when you go through what it is, it'll bug you too. And it's not good. And that person who is constantly going around telling you, ah, it could be worse, look on the bright side, positive vibes, actually is doing more harm than good. That and plenty more to come uh, during the morning. But first of all, let us talk to Emma, who I think, Emma, uh, they tell me here, you're having a good day today, which is a relief to you anyway. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you? I'm not too bad. If I, I will apologize if I, apologize if I start coughing. That's okay. 
That's yeah. okay. Um, when did you yeah, get so diagnosed with COVID-19? I got, well, I actually first had symptoms of COVID-19 from the April, April 7th, uh, 2020, but I actually didn't get properly diagnosed until Easter Monday on the 13th, and that was actually through our care. It was actually doctor actually um, diagnosed me clinically because I wasn't able to actually go for another COVID test. Right. Yeah. And um, from then on, like, I have been... It's just like the symptoms started really with um, a cough. And then when I was told from work that I was actually gone into isolation because I was a close contact, I actually didn't think, no, that's not me. You know what? I'll be fine, you know? Mm. And then it just... I had a brutal headache. And then... um, the the chills came and um, the shortness of breath and the fatigue came and I thought, oh my God. So I actually hung up on health and I got an appointment. And I was surprised at my result because everyone else around me was actually, that were close contact, were, were all coming down with COVID-19 positive. Mm. So, this um, was in the very early days, of course, yeah, when the testing yeah. regime was nothing like as quick as it is now. Well, yeah, exactly. Um... So I um, I was lucky that I was actually never admitted to hospital, but I I think it was about four times I went into any, and I was diagnosed with uh, during last year I was diagnosed with COVID. Um, sorry, there's a lorry passing. Um, COVID um, pneumonia, and I had COVID pleurisy, and I was back again with COVID pleurisy, and then they were worried about clotting because I collapsed late September last year, and it just. Um, it just didn't turn out there was no clotting in my blood at the time um, but to this day like it's just trying to get an appointment PJ with a consultant and you get one and then he says he'll see you in six months and then you don't see anyone in six months You get your appointment gets cancelled yeah. and then your GP then if you ring up let's say today for an appointment for, uh, for next Tuesday you don't get it yeah. You know, because you have to ring that morning. Like GPs, I don't know, I don't know if GPs understand what we're going through sometimes, you know, like just medication after medication, yeah. you're t- trying to take, and you don't know what's doing you good and what's doing you bad. The, the, the whole point of this is that you are still, you you first began to feel ill on the 7th of April 2020. Right. Yeah. Today is the 24th of March 2021 yep. and you are still sick. Yeah, I'm still sick and no two days are the same. One day, like this morning now I'm okay but yesterday I pushed myself too far. I actually was I actually was in with my GP yesterday evening and I, I just crashed. I, like my legs were just aching. My whole body was aching, you know. So if you do too much, you, like you pay for it. If you spend seventy percent of your day sitting down, you'll be fine the following day. But if you don't, you'll have consequences the following day. Okay. And and you you never made a full recovery from that first Easter. No, weekend, no, 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 I haven't. And that's what's it's driving me mad because like a lot of people that didn't get COVID don't understand you and they think you're putting it on. And even employers are the same and it's just it's very hard you know you have to be in it to to know what it is yeah yeah there's a there's a a doctor friend of mine 
um, in, in Dublin. Um, got it in late April last year and it's still unwell. Yeah. You yeah. know, and it's and we, we first began to talk about long COVID, I'd say back August. Um, yeah. We came across the first evidence of it. And, and then, of course, the, the, the national and the mainstreamers media, they, they discovered it uh, as, if, as if. But there's been people out there, lots of people, Emma, sick for months. Yeah, absolutely. It's just like I was referred to a long COVID clinic in the CUH. I actually, this was last year, I got a letter last week to say that I'm on the list there's no evidence of a, a consultant's name like it just I just feel the government and they're not highlighting how long COVID and like there's a lot of us there like yeah. I'm in the long COVID group on uh, Facebook which um, Claire set up which is absolutely fantastic and there's a lot of us out there and we're all suffering in different like it's not just respiratory um, um, PJ like you know there's people out there with um, multi-inflammatory disease as well, like subsequent health issues. Um, if any of us were hospitalised, we would have a full renal liver and bone profile to check for, but because we can breathe, it's okay, you know? Are you able to work? No. You haven't been back to work since? No. No. I wish I could work, PJ. I really wish I could. Yeah. You know? And what have they discovered? you scarring, I think, in both lungs. Yeah, that's right. You see, when I went to um, I'd like I had a chest x-ray and the chest x-ray came up clear. So, but I knew, you know, I remember saying to my partner, I said, you know, my lungs aren't right. I know there's something wrong. And anyway, I went into my GP and I said to her, um, I said, I want to go for a CT. And she said, why? Why are you now? And I said, or why am I? And I said, well, the reason being is that I'm, I said, my lungs are very um, sore and I think there's something wrong. And she said, well, your x-ray is clear. So anyway, she booked me in anyway, and I went up and I had, and um, the next thing she rang me, I think, the day later and said to me, she said, Emma, you're right, she said she was carrying both lungs. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, and that's scarring that either will or will not heal. You don't know, do you? We don't know. Like, I had another um, CT going back at the September last year and it hadn't healed then. This you know, must be very hard to deal with mentally as well as physically. Oh, it is, yeah. Like, as I said like on my email, like I've actually, I'm on anti, uh, antidepressants because it's just, it's, it hits you so hard emotionally. Yeah. You know? It's just, um, it's hard going, like it's, it's, you know. And is it the fear that you'll never be right? That's exactly like, I never thought that, well, I suppose we didn't know enough about it. I thought, you know, when I was clinically diagnosed, I actually thought, oh, God, two weeks of this and I'll be back. Mm. You know, I, that's how, that's what I thought. But we didn't know anything much about it then. Yeah. I never thought, but here we are. Yeah. A year later, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm still suffering. Yeah. You got so frightened at one stage, I think you, you actually... I did. Yeah, I got really fr- like when it was really tough and it can be at times like you wake up in the night and you're actually trying to breathe and you can't and you're sweating and I got so worried you know I actually rang a solicitor and made a will because you know I didn't know would I survive I left 
my partner all my details, bank details and everything because I didn't know what was going to happen to me. Right. You know? And you still get those, not often, but you still get them. Yeah. And you'd be of normal, were you of, as they say, normal good health beforehand? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, if there was anything I'd like, you know, I'd have, you know, I never would have anything like this, like... You know the usual breaks or anything like that, but not not a not something debilitating like this. Yeah, and that's the best word for it. Yeah, debilitating. Like yeah. you, you can't go back to work. You, you, and you have frequent pain still. I think have you? Yeah, I have. At the moment, when I'm talking to you now in my lungs. As we speak, you've got pain. Yeah, you know, and like all your fishing for dinner is painkillers. Yeah. Like they're. But there, I don't agree they're the answer either. Yeah, yeah. And have you been in a position to see anybody who can look further into the damage to your lungs and maybe uh, reassure you that you might be able to get better or what? I went to the CUHC, Mr. Henry, and it was his uh, number one I saw. And as I said, he'd see me in six months, but... The six months has come and gone. Like I, I actually had an appointment on twenty second of January. It got cancelled. Yeah, yeah. I remember, yeah. As, as I said, when we started to talk about this, maybe in the early autumn last year. Yeah. Um, it was a woman in Scotland that I spoke to first, and then I spoke to a lad up the country. But all the time we were getting these calls, "Come here, that's me too. That's me too." Yeah, yeah. There's people all over, the, and I spoke to one woman in Upper Old McCroomway, um, who couldn't actually raise her hands long enough to wash her hair in the shower. Yeah, like PJ, like there's men going through this as well as women. Yes, Yes, I know. Yeah, you know, and um, like we all have different complaints, like it isn't just respiratory. Yes. You know, like it's it's just, just, that's the frightening, like when you look at this group, like we all have different things. Some of us are the same. Yes. You know, but all of different things. How does it affect your day today? I assume that you you can't make any plans because you don't know how. Like you can't make a plan for tomorrow because you don't know how you're going to feel. No, um, basically, is is you try like I know this sounds silly, but like you get your clothes ready for the morning, you know, um, the night before. You plan everything, you know, when you want to go for your walk, because mm. um, so important. Is that you get your clothes ready because you don't know if you'll have the energy to find them in the morning? Exactly, like wow. you don't know. You don't know if you have aches and pains. You could roll out a bit okay. Like this morning, I had aches and pains all over. So I got I got out of bed and, you know, and then it's just like everything's like an effort. Having a shower is an effort, you know? Yeah. You know, it's just, everything is just an effort. Are you worried for the future? I am. I'm very worried. Like, I'm in my early 50s and I, I'm, I, it's, you know, like, I'm frightened because, like, I'm a year into this. You know? And no sign of improvement, is there? No sign of improvement. Oh. None whatsoever. Yeah. You know? It's just, you know, it, it, it is. It's just, like, winter was tough going. Yeah. It's yeah. very tough. You know? Yeah. When, yeah. Wouldn't be frightened to get another dose because you can get this twice. Well, you see, this is the thing. Like, you know, like, I'm be kind of afraid now, you know? Yeah. Uh, like you could pick it up anywhere yeah. and you know 
all I can do is make sure that, you know, and make sure I do my hands right and wear a mask and, mm. you know. Yeah. How do you feel, Emma, when you see people telling us that this is only an old flu and to cop on and to get on with our lives and all this. How do you feel about that? Well, I used to retaliate and I decided, don't do that. I used to just give out and now I just don't bother. I just think, well, you decide for yourself. Yeah. You know, uh, because there's no point. It's a waste of breath. Which you don't have a whole lot of to waste. No, I have to think of myself here, not anybody else's selfishness. How do you keep driving on? You just have to. Like, I'm very lucky. I actually have two dogs and they've kept me going, I suppose, in the last year. Yeah. You know, they have to, I have to get out. I have to walk them, yeah. you know. But, like, I have to have my nap in the afternoon, PJ. Yeah. You know, I need to rest. Yeah. People don't understand that. Yeah. You know, it's it's hard. Like, it's it's just, you just... Oh, sometimes you'd be like hitting your head off a brick wall. And I mentioned work. Like, is 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 your job something you could be doing from home? Say, no, 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 no. Right. no I I have to be at work. Right, so, which means you can't go in, obviously. Yeah, and I can't go in, and that's hard, you know, because you don't know whether your employer believes you or not. Yeah, you know, because they can get a bit irrational with you. And, and how are you fixed? Do you get do you get sick pay or what do you get? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I get sick pay. Yeah. You know, uh, but um, it's just, you can get very irrational over it. Yeah. You know, and sometimes you feel like giving out and saying, well, you know, I'm not here for the fun of it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely being an antidepressant, I think that frightens people. Yeah, yeah. And I'm not the only one out no, there either. you're not. There's a, lot, there's a lot of people like you. Yeah. Well, look... Go and rest yourself now, because I know even this effort for the last few minutes has has taken it out of you, and you'll be tired. Yeah. Look yeah. after yourself. I sincerely hope that that if in another year's time you'll be much much better. Um, are you well, are you anxious to get a vaccine when it comes round? I've actually got it. Oh, have you? I got the Pfizer vaccine. Yeah. Oh, brilliant! How did that happen? You're you're. I'm a healthcare worker, so ah, yeah, great. Yeah, so. Yeah, oh God, yeah. Oh, okay. so you're safe enough, so as in you're not likely to get it again. That's brilliant. Well, apparently you can get it, but at very... Very, very mild oh. levels, yeah. Hello? That's great. Listen, I'm going to leave it there, Emma. And uh, thanks ever so much. That's. I think it just, it just literally just dropped itself, Terry. Whatever happened there on the line. But thank you very much. That's Emma who got sick on the 7th of April 2020. This is the 24th of March 2021 and she is still sick. Scarring on her lungs, aches and pains, can't work, uh, incredible fatigue, uses an inhaler, painkillers, antidepressants. Nearly a year on. That's long COVID for you. 1850-715-996 and Maeve says the documentary, I missed it, but I heard about it. Documentary last night about Kate Garraway's husband finding Derek was an eye-opener about long COVID. Yeah, it's, there's a lot of it out there. I'll always remember the first time we talked about it was a woman from Scotland um, who Fergal tracked down. And we spoke for a while and literally as I was talking to her about how it affected her, the lights were starting to come on 
on the on the switchboard here. Oh, hang on, that's me. Oh, hold on, that's me. I feel that too. It's out there. A lot of it. 1850-715-996. The drama is sensational. That's 80. Oh, he's done it. It's an equaliser. It's stoppage time. And it's all right here. Grealish for seven. Join me, Trevor Welch, on 96fm.ie for the Premier League Live online, powered by TalkSport. Go, go. Join us Saturdays as we bring you pre-match analysis with some of the biggest names in the game. Live commentary, exclusive interviews, and don't miss the post-match breakdowns. Go, go. The Premier League Live online. With now, stream all the action from Sky Sports with a now sports membership. Go, go. Listen every Saturday on the Cork's 96FM app or see 96FM.ie. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show, The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850 715 996. On Cork's 96FM. Straight away, the lights are lighting again. Uh, caller says, I had it. My husband also had it at the same time. It was much worse. For him than for me. And the medication can be just as hard on somebody. Morris was on. PJ, you spoke to a friend of mine last September who was suffering from long COVID. He's in his 30s. He's still struggling. He's trying to get back to work a couple of days a week, but his doctor won't let him. A lot of it out there. Then on the bright side of COVID-19, a little bit of positivity Great news coming from Pfizer. Now, this is research that they're doing, and they're going for a, a trial on it. Remember, since day one, we've said we need two things here. We need vaccines, and they're coming, and hopefully they'll come faster over the next while, and we'll all be able to get them. We also need medicine, medicine that you can take, medicine that you can get from your doctor, or maybe better again, just at the chemist, so that once you have symptoms, you take it, and you don't get any worse. Well, Pfizer have now started testing a tablet and basically what it does is when the virus gets into your body it uses your body chemistry to multiply itself and to infect you that's as simple as you can make it that they used to say science in a sentence your the virus gets into your body and uses your body chemistry to multiply inside of you what Pfizer have done is they have identified that part of your body chemistry an enzyme that helps it to do that, and they are developing a pill that will prevent that enzyme from doing what it does. It's brilliant technology, it's incredible science, and they're starting testing this uh, over the next couple of months, and they're hoping that they may be able to get it licensed before the end of the year, which would be brilliant. It's a pill that stops COVID from growing in your body. And in actual fact, we've been here before, as it were, with this, because this is the same kind of medicine that allows people to live a perfectly normal life these days with HIV, as in people who are HIV positive start taking a pill in the morning. We've spoken to them here. Take a pill in the morning and they'll never get any worse. They'll never get sick. The virus will never rise in their body because it can't multiply. And they may even be able to eliminate it. This is brilliant stuff coming from Pfizer. A pill that will actually stop COVID from infecting you. That's great news. And following this fascinating, sad but fascinating story from East Cork uh, for months now since it broke uh, on the 5th of January when a skull was found by a digger doing some work down in East Cork 
and was the skull we reckon now of a woman in her 70s um, she was wearing a nightgown a white type of a nightgown garment and she was around 5 foot something but we know nothing more they still have no idea who this poor woman is who was found on the 5th of January down on the uh, Greenway route there between Middleton and Yall. And Anne Mooney has a story in the Irish Sun today that uh, Gardaí are about to use the kind of technology you'd see on CSI or Bones or one of those programmes to, to take this search or this investigation to the next level. Anne, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. What's going on? We, we still have no idea who this poor woman is. Absolutely not. Um, and actually, as one of um, as somebody said to me, it's a, a really a unique mystery because, despite very very high profile appeals for somebody to come forward uh, to help identify uh, this poor woman and put her to rest properly, um, and including a, a session on crime call, there has has been very little response, if any at all. Um, and anything that the guards have been have got hasn't been conducive to actually um, providing an identity for this woman who must be known. She she must be uh, she must have been a mother, a grandmother, an aunt, uh, some a sister, something. Um, and yet nobody has come forward to say that um, she's missing. Um, the the more horrifying aspect of things of this as well, PJ, is that. Um, the, the results of the, the extensive guard search of the undergrowth um, in uh, beside the, the old railway line there um, between Middleton and Yall uh, revealed that um, she was probably buried um, and her body taken from a grave and dumped uh, along with remnants of uh, a coffin and um, other, you know, crucifix and and. Uh, other items that would indicate that there, that it was that she was previously buried. So that adds to the mystery as well. They have no idea, do they? Of well, we know what age she was. They reckon. No. Do they know when she died or anything like that? Um, Can they tell? They, they say they say that um, they're, they're giving it a, a ten a decade a ten year um, timeline uh, window. Um, so it would appear that you see the thing about this is that if this was if this was if these were old bones, you know, then anthropology would take over and uh, you know efforts would be made to identify. But the fact that this woman is <clears throat> was in her seventies, um, that she was buried um, somewhere, um, and that she uh, that she was found, um, you know, because of uh, of the development of the greenway. Um, so, you know, it, it's not that it was, uh, you know, 100 years ago that this happened, that she was dumped or buried. Um, this is a very recent incident. And uh, who knows how long she she would have remained there, but for the development of the old railway line into this greenway between um, Middleton and Yall. So it's so, a bizarre story. So It just continues to get more and more bizarre. Yeah. Um, and the fact that nobody is coming forward uh, to... Uh, identify her or to say that the, the guards have used everything they've gone into the missing persons database they've, um, they've gone through the DNA banks they've gone through every possible uh, um, aid that's out there to help them identify a missing person 
and yet none of that is yielded anything and um, it doesn't appear as if anybody was apart from you know Tina Satchwell who was the most high profile missing person in in, yeah. in Cork and whose um, on the anniversary of disappearance is actually today the 24th um, but but they had ruled her out um, as soon as they established that this was a much more older woman right so, so, so what's uh, this new technology that they're going to use? We've seen it on the telly, so, as it were, in the yeah, cop shows. But what is yes, it? What are they going to do? Yes. Actually, we have what we have seen on the telly. I think if you've been watching the same crime programs as I have, PJ, is where they reconstruct a skull using markers on the skull and and using clay to um, to produce features around those markers. Um, but but technology has advanced a long way since then. And uh, so I understand that uh, what they would be seeking to do is to have um, the uh, to use the skull um, and to use a 3D um, facial imaging um, to produce a picture of this lady, hopefully, um, which they will then be able to use to um, send out and promote and try and crack down to see if some anybody knows her. Um, I'm told that it's it's a highly effective uh, means of um, of, of uh, facial recognition, and that um, you know they're very hopeful that it will in the end uh, produce a, a picture for them to um, to to help identify the woman. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, so, it, look, it's a close knit area of West of East Cork, and. You know, people talk to themselves, and I know journalists like yourself trawling from in- information. Is there any kind of a working theory at all, or have people just drawn a complete blank here? Um, I, honestly, thank you. I have to say that I've never come across anything like this before. I mean, um, my source that I was talking to, um, you know, was equally shocked uh, because, uh, you know, this, this was a woman who was actually buried in a grave. So they have asked undertakers um, in East Cork, indeed Twelve Cork, um, to check graveyards um, where the you know see if there's any sign of disturbance of graves or if there's any sign of of newly dug graves where there shouldn't be newly dug graves. And um, you know, like the fact that that they found um, the remnants of a coffin along with this lady, along with the crucifix, which would be quite similar to, to one that would be on top of a coffin, um, and and the brass handles of what would be used to carry a coffin, um, indicates that somebody somewhere had to actually dig this lady up, dig the grave and take this woman out. Um, now, I don't know why. You know, we all know that, you know, graves can hold a number of people and if this was a case of taking somebody out to put somebody else in um, you know why not do it properly and why desecrate this woman to the extent that she has been desecrated. And this is the kind of thing that that you would read by a swimming pool on your holidays that comes out of the mind of a fiction writer. (laughs) But this is real life. Yes, yes. Crikey. I, it's just shocking, as I say, in all my years in journalism, I never have I come across this, uh, anything like this. And even even looking at, you know, the, the documentaries, the live documentaries on, on murders and deaths and everything else, there's nothing similar to this. And, and, and the fact that there must be somebody out there who, 
who is missing a, a loved one or maybe not so loved one, but who, who knows what has happened to this poor lady and who just isn't coming forward to help the guards um, identify her so that her remains can be taken out of the mug and that she can be reburied properly in a Christian okay. manner. Okay, and leave it there for today. And we'll we're as a following this with with fascination, uh, and it is such a sad story, but yet a fascinating one. Thank you very much, and Mooney of the Irish Sun, Gardaí and Middleton still investigating this bizarre story. Their number four six two one double five zero. That's an o two one number four six two one double five zero. Or if there's anything that you know that you'd be afraid of your life to share. Because you think that a it's in you know in it's nothing it's of no interest or you'd be afraid that anyone would find out who you are, then you can ring one eight hundred six 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 one 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 in complete confidence. I've read dozens of crime novels, some of them based in Cork, bizarre stories of bodies found in strange places. I've watched television programs of investigations like this, but this is down the road from where I'm sitting right now. Real life. Woman in her 70s. Bits of a coffin. A crucifix. She was in a nightgown. And it happened in recent enough times. What on earth happened? Who is this poor woman? Why can nobody get a grip on who she is, where she comes from, what happened to her. It is the more, and Anne said, and trust me, they've been around the block, Anne's been around the block for a few years now, and if she says she's never come across anything like it, then I'd go with that. Neither have I. 1857 15996. The Cork Diary. On Cork's 96FM. Kinsale Atlantic Artists are holding a window and online exhibition of original works from the 11th to the 29th of March. Featuring everything from watercolour, oil painting, textile, and sculpture, the event is in aid of Daffodil Day 2021 and the Irish Cancer Society. To find out more, check out Kinsale Atlantic Artists' Facebook page. If you have an event you would like mentioned, email Cork Diary at 96fm.ie This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan Text or WhatsApp now 083 396 On Cork's 96FM Yeah a lot of responses coming in to uh, Emma and long COVID and she's not the only one and the doctors have no clue and can you blame them? There's no blame to them, like, they've no idea because COVID doesn't behave the, behave the same way in any two people. And any two people with long COVID certainly doesn't behave the same way in them. And the, you can imagine being a doctor with a, with, with a patient who's sick and you really have no idea what's going on. And there's nothing you can do except try to be there for them. 1857-15996. We've talked about the difficulties people are facing as lockdown continues and hoping against hope that things will start to be eased in the next week or so based on the science and based on the medicine not based on lobby groups or uh, you know political expediency or anything like that based on the science and based on the medicine we hope that something will start to ease but as we remain in level 5 one group of people finding it very hard to get by 
are addicts and particularly people trying to recover, um, people in treatment, people looking for places in recovery, like in Chokwira, uh, where is that fantastic recovery house up in the Mardyk where people who come out of, uh, they come out of rehab, they come out of, the, if you like, the, the heavy duty rehab and they then use Chokwira to get their lives back and, and rebuild and it's a hugely popular and very much used service. Michael Gearin, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. And of course, because of COVID, you can't accommodate those that you'd want to. No, um, one of the problems that COVID threw up for us, PJ, is that it reduced the capacity of our centres down to about 75% because there are all these various um, provisions that we have to comply with regarding distancing and infection control and so on, which are very, very necessary. But we now find ourselves in a situation of reduced capacity and increased demand in comparison to what it was um, about a year ago. So we're we're trying to deal with more people with less resources, if you like, because our capacity to accommodate them is diminished. Must be very hard, for example, to run a kind of a group, any kind of a group session. It's it's hard enough. I mean, we can manage group sessions with reduced numbers in in the centres. The difficulties that we have are the people waiting to get in and our waiting lists are gone up by 50%. And on the other hand, then the people that depart the service and go back into the community, our ability to reach out to them and their ability to reach out on their own behalf to things like Alcoholics Anonymous are severely curtailed because of the virus and because of the level five. So it's like recovery from alcoholism or drug dependence or gambling was a difficult thing to do two years ago when you had no such problems like you have now and the problems that we have encountered because of COVID have compounded that significantly. Yeah. I can imagine that someone coming out of a long-term rehabilitation process and then waiting, looking to get into Takvira, they're clean and they're sober but they're also delicate and, and they need minding and they get the minding in Takvira but if they can't get in there, they're at risk. Yes. And you see, I suppose what we have done in a primary context is that people who are waiting for a bed in some place like Chakbara, we have accommodated them in the primary setting until such time as the bed has become available. Because at least in that respect, they have a fairly safe environment um, in which they can cope and that then they would move on to Chakbara. And that is an equally safe but more integrated environment than the treatment centre. Um, but there is no question about it. It is difficult, everything COVID-related that we have encountered. And as you said there in your introduction, based on scientific and medical expertise, it's all very necessary, but every single piece of it causes a problem for us on our journey with the client. And there's nothing that can be done. We just have to live with it and work with it. But it is very difficult in the face of increases that we are seeing in particular in relation to alcohol abuse that are now emerging that are, I would safely say, in some cases at least, as a direct consequence of the lockdown that started last March. Mm. Because I think, and we've talked about this previously, Michael, people can develop an alcohol problem without even realising that it's happening. They're one category of person. The other then is someone struggling to maintain their sobriety they can fall off the wagon very quickly in the middle of all of this. 
they can. And any alcoholic at any stage in their recovery has within them the capacity to relapse if the conditions are conducive to that such an occasion or such an outcome taking place. So, like, there are people who are a long time in recovery have found that their sobriety has been challenged because of COVID, because they have encountered very difficult circumstances in life terms. And I was looking at an interview the other evening that Ivan Yates did, where he said that, like, we seem to forget the bottom third of the population are getting hammered by COVID. Some of us are doing okay. Some of us haven't lost our jobs. Some of us are okay financially. But there are a certain percentage that are absolutely getting hammered because COVID has closed down their social networks, their financial, their ability to earn and so on and so forth. And there are addicted people who fall into that cohort, is my point. Yeah. And we look at the newspapers, like, for example, Tuesday, uh, huge increase in the incidence of possession of drugs, possession for personal use, shot up. At the end of this, Michael, you're going to have lots, lots more troubled people. We are going to have lots more troubled people, and in particular in relation to that article, PJ, there was nothing in that that came as a surprise to us. Because anecdotally, what the clients are saying to us in the community that are trying to access services, they are saying that things were never as bad as they are now, particularly in relation to the illicit drug availability and supply and abuse. So while that... I don't know if that came as a surprise to anybody that, that mm. read it at the time, but it certainly didn't come as any surprise to us. Because this is a pusher's playground, isn't it? This particular type of lockdown is a pusher's playground in that you can, particularly as compared to last year, in that we are now out and about a lot more than we were in the first lockdown. And, and the kind of horrible people that, that, that push others into addiction, they're, they're, they're playing it well now. They are playing it well, and you see there is a far greater disenchantment amongst the population in general with things like lockdown now than there was a year ago. Yeah. A year ago, there was a wonderful spirit. There was a lot of hassle, but there was a wonderful spirit amongst the people of Ireland. And that spirit and that resolve has become eroded because of successive waves and successive lockdown. And, and that's very understandable. So the more disenchanted that the population become, the more vulnerable become, and then the more likely they are to do something that they would be better off not doing. On a more positive note, I guess, look, we can all mind ourselves and self-care is a huge part of recovery for anybody who, who's, who, who's in that system. Um, you know, and there's nothing to stop you eating well, there's nothing to stop you exercising, that kind of thing. Yes, and I suppose that's as applicable to the non-addicted Um, cohort of society as it is to the addicted people. We all really need to take very good self-care in terms of our diet, our sleep, our exercise and the simple things during this very difficult time, which it doesn't look as going to end in the very near future. I'd say we're looking at mid-year at least. There's a a number of months in it yet, Michael. Yeah, we need to legislate for that and self-care is imperative for everyone. Because anybody can fall foul to a slump in their mental health and people really need, if people heard nothing I said today, if they heard this, do not under any circumstances self-medicate distress with a mood-altering chemical because it's going to end one way. Yeah. Finally, my friend, when are you going to see mum? I'm going to see mother on Friday at lunchtime and I haven't seen her since early December. And once again, the wonderful people who take care of her have 
put, have kept a clean sheet where COVID was concerned in the fourth wave. They again had no case of COVID in the nursing home that she's in, which mm. we are all delighted about. So I'm getting to see her on Friday for the first time since early December. Has she had her and vaccines? She's had her two shots and they, everybody, staff and residents there have had their two shots. So on that basis, they feel comfortable enough to allow visiting on a controlled basis. And, and to say we're delighted is an understatement. How much does it mean to you, Michael? I know, I know you're very close to her. I mean, look, PJ, it's, it's probably in lockdown situations like this to be kept away from those that you would most feel you most need to be with is, is soul destroying. And I mean, it, it's, it has been very difficult but at the same time, we have been consoled by the fact that people have taken such good care of her. And I suppose the biggest, the hardest part about it was she doesn't understand COVID. Yeah. She doesn't understand lockdowns. And we go away then for months on end and she probably can't rationalise why this is happening. Yes. Um, so, I mean, I, I I really don't know what to say about this. I'm Not often I'm caught for an answer. but I think I mean, the, in, that in itself is the answer, Michael. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't describe it. It's wonderful. And, and we're looking forward now as the weather will get better and as the vaccine rollout and things progress that we might see an end to this and we might go back to normal. And normal for me was calling there for 10 minutes on the way home in the evening, most evenings. All right. Um, but I haven't been able to do that. Well, listen, I hope you enjoy Friday. I know you will. Thank you very much, Michael Gear, and continue the great work that you and the team do. At a chalk verda. Thank you. 1557 and again, your WhatsApp voice notes, uh, more than welcome if you want to send them in to us. Uh, if we're talking about something that interests you and you have a point you'd like to make, but you don't necessarily have time to take a phone call, that's fine. That's fine. And something you don't want to sit in there and write a big, long Bible of a message, just send us a little voice note. Pop it into us at 83 396 If you missed anything in our first hour this morning, you'll get the podcast in the afternoon on all your various platforms. Goes up first on Twitter, then on all the platforms, and then on the Cork's 96FM phone app. Everything we do uh, every day on our Opinion Line podcast. Let, let us look for a while at a subject that I, I didn't know this term existed. I knew there was something that really bugged me about certain elements of positivity. But I didn't realise that there was a thing called toxic positivity. And I guess we all look around us these days and we try to, as I say frequently on the programme, we try to take pleasure in little things. We try to get the, the positive from the negative. We, we look at every day in these difficult times and try to take something out of it that at least makes us smile or gives us a warm feeling. That's different to toxic positivity. Toxic positivity is this person who just seems to live in a parallel universe that they they will not even discuss anything negative. They don't even want to know that something's negative. And if you're feeling down or under the weather and you happen to voice that to them, you can get a lecture 
about it could be worse. Look on the bright side. Positive vibes, dude. It's a pain in the ass. It really is a pain in the ass. And there are many, many articles written about it recently. Sophie Quinn is with spunout.ie. Sophie, good morning to you. Good morning. We all know someone like that, don't we? That they're just positive to the point of being a pain. But it's yeah. it's not just that. That's, that's It's quite a negative thing, actually. It is. It sounds wonderful in theory, but um, a classic thing, as you said there, would be on social media saying something like positive vibes only. It's when you pretend to yourself that you're happy and positive all the time. Yeah, because nobody is. No, it's it's completely unrealistic, you know. Mm. Like, look, we all have to learn to be positive. We all have to let have to learn to take the positive element of a day and focus on it and just get a smile on our face. But but you can damage yourself when you overdo it and damage others. Yeah, because it's, it's useful temporarily, really, as a sort of defense mechanism. Maybe you get a snide comment from a coworker or a classmate and you don't want to show that you're upset or something like that. But the problem is that builds up and you're carrying around all that hurt and frustration. So you might actually lash out at other people. I think a lot of people don't realize the difference between optimism and toxic positivity. Optimism being where you actually acknowledge the bad as well. Yeah. There's a whole fake it till you make it vibe out there at the moment, isn't there? Uh, that we don't talk about the stuff that went wrong. We just put on that positive. That in itself doesn't work either. No, as I said, like it's very useful temporarily just to kind of maybe get yourself through a difficult situation. But you do eventually need to talk to someone about it. And a lot of people do find laughing um, about something quite therapeutic as well. Mm. In your article, you, you, you talked about people pushing away their emotions. What do you mean by that? I guess it's people not wanting to confront something. Again, maybe it's a defense mechanism. And, I mean, anyone can be susceptible to that, particularly with COVID-19 at the moment. Yeah. Like, do you, do you real, do people realize when they're doing it? Is it just a mindset? Um, I would say it varies from person to person, but most people probably wouldn't be aware that they're doing it. Because the key in the definition really is that you're pretending be positive and happy all the time so probably isn't conscious yeah yeah but positive mental attitude is the thing that can, it can get you through a lot but but you also can't have it from dawn to dusk and you can't have it seven days a week yeah it's simply not realistic and it's all about really positivity is great but also confronting the negative and being aware that it's okay to have negative experiences as well yeah like there is always a danger if you block negative out that it just grows and it will, it will eventually come back and bite you. And that's the thing. And a lot of people then, maybe, you know, you've been having a bad day and you haven't confronted that. And maybe if you lash out at someone else, they're not going to realise that you've had that bad day, that bad experience. So that will lead to issues there as well. Yeah. Yeah. Like, over, you talk in your article about someone who is overly positive is actually being negative in their own way. Yeah, that's a famous uh, Mark Manson quote. He's an author of a great book. It's called The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. And, and I'll allow you to use it on this occasion. <laughs> yeah. It's a very interesting quote. And it's talking about basically that if we're constantly looking for something <clears throat> bigger and better and more positive, we're not acknowledging the good in what we have. And that doesn't mean that we should fake happiness when we're genuinely in a bad situation. It just means that if you're constantly looking for something better, you don't reach fulfillment. And that's really a negative place to be in. Yeah, like the COVID has made it very hard because our lives are limited uh, yeah. to some people to more extent than others. 
But still, yeah. there's there's that moment where you have to have something to cling to. And if you're being pretend positive all day long, and then you find yourself in your own dark hole, you're doing more harm than good. Definitely. And I think it, it definitely is important at the moment to be positive. You know, but you also have to acknowledge it that this isn't an ideal situation. You just have to make the best of it. But not acknowledging that it is bad as well. Yeah, like you could find yourself at home of a day and you've been all positive on social media. You've been all positive in the workplace. You've been telling your friends not to worry. Everything will be just fine. And then you hit the blackness at home and you really have pushed all those away who might help you. Exactly. And You're not burning. okay and you need help and you might not know where to go. And that's the problem. A lot of people then don't know what to do when they are feeling down because they're they're pretending to themselves as well as everyone else that they are positive. Yeah. And, and do they think then maybe, well, Jesus, I, I, I of all people can't feel this way because I've been telling everyone to feel good about themselves. Exactly. There's almost an expectation that they should be positive and that really confounds the problem again. Yeah. At spunout.ie, have you got some resources for people if they want to go and look? Yeah, there's... Um, more resources on the website. There's actually a lot of different articles from uh, young people. Uh, there's an entire opinion section that you can look at as well. Okay. All right, Sophie, good to talk to you. Uh, thanks very much. Sophie Quinn, uh, spunout.ie on toxic positivity. If you go through it on the web, you'll find loads and loads of different sort of tables of things that are kind of signs of toxic positivity. You know, for example, if someone says to you, just be positive, just be positive, you know, you've had an awful day. Your best friend has been carted off to hospital with COVID-19. Your, your, your boss has just told you they may not be able to, to keep your job going much longer. And some guy says, just be positive, just be positive. You feel like clocking that person over the head. What they actually should be saying to you is, well, look, I know it's difficult. I know you're struggling. But look, why not try to think about what can go right? Something might, your, your friend will be okay. Hopefully your friend will be okay and wish them well. And, and you know, your boss is just warning you, it, it mightn't happen, you know. It mightn't happen. And then this thing, positive vibes only. You know, if you, if you don't feel like positive vibes, don't put on positive vibes because people can see it a mile away. You know, never quit, never give up, ever. That's just BS. There are days when you feel like going, ah, shag it. And that's all right. Remember we talked in the last few weeks and months in particular, when we came back after Christmas into this, the longest and bleakest of lockdowns, we always talked on this program not so much about the people who struggle all the time with their mental health. We feel desperately sorry for them. They must be in an awful way with this. But we were talking so much on the opinion line about the people who normally are quite okay, who get through with their good days and their bad days and their happy times and their also happy times that are just flat and banjaxed and just feeling rotten every so often. And I've said to you, the listeners, I feel like that from time to time. I have days I just couldn't be bothered my arse anymore. That's all right. That is absolutely all right. Toxic positivity says, oh, no, you got to focus on what's positive. Couldn't be bothered your arse. How dare you get up and focus? That's toxic positivity. And it's all over the place. And I'm so glad 
that people are talking about it. 1857-15996. Simon Murdoch and the best music mix. Weekdays from midday on Cork's 96FM. Get ready for the best music mix right across the afternoon in Cork. All your favourite artists to help you along if you're at work or if you just need that afternoon, pick me up. I'll see you from midday on Cork's 96FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show, The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now, 0833969696. On Cork's 96 FM. Yeah, if you have a half an hour or an hour in the day or even a whole day where you just go, I really couldn't be arsed. This is too hard. That's all right. That's okay. Trust me, we have all had it. And if you haven't, or if you say you haven't, you're lying. We have all had it. I'm dreading, for example, the bad weather at the weekend. I, a creature of the light, have said this to listeners so many times. I'm a creature of the light. I love to look out at what's out there now. I love sunshine. I love the feel of the sun on my skin. And I hate the dark and the cold and the wet and what's what's facing into the weekend I hate the prospect of it and and that's okay to talk about that uh, you know and when someone comes on and says ah yes but do you know you can get out and have a bracing walk in the freezing no you can't have a bracing walk in the freezing cold it's flipping horrible so stay away from me with your toxic positivity just on long COVID caller says I'm very vigilant about COVID but my two friends have no fear of it. We need to hear more stories like Emma's because you often hear no one will die from it with the old people vaccinated. But that's only half the story. There's so many people sick, sick for a long time. And the fear is that if you get it, this is still a fear, if you get it, yet you could be grand in a few days. But you could also be sick for months on end and the problem is you don't know which it's going to be when you get it. That for me is the biggest fear with regard to COVID. Like if I get it, uh, I'd be knackered for a while, a week or two maybe. And that'd be all right. But then you could be sick like Emma for months on end. That would frighten the life out of me. On vaccines, hi PJ, I'm a crew member of the Cork County Retained Fire Service. We're still waiting for the vaccine. Our problem here is Cork City Fire Service have all had their vaccine. We do the same work. Could you mention this? Thank you, great show. Well, that's wrong. I'm glad, I'm delighted that the fire service have had their vaccines. But the retained fire service, who are the people, the backup fire service, they should have a vaccine too, which draws even more attention to the guards. Rightly so, doctors are vaccinated. Rightly so, nurses and healthcare workers are vaccinated. Rightly so, paramedics are vaccinated. The fire service are now vaccinated. Rightly so. Not a guard in the country vaccinated yet. And I'm sorry, but that is nothing short of a disgrace. And I know people think, oh, PJ's banging on now because his awful was in the guards. Absolutely. But I'm banging on besides that. I'm banging on because I think it's an absolute disgrace to leave a whole arm of our emergency services, literally a whole arm, without anything in their arm. So the sooner we get the finger out and start vaccinating guards, the better. Uh, 1850-715-996.
Mags was delighted with me yesterday. She heard me she was on, the, on the train to Dublin. She heard me talking about the guards. You'll hear it a lot more, Mags, because I'm just not giving up on it. I'm not. 1850-715-996. Over the weekend, a lot of talk about antisocial behaviour. We heard from a number of councillors about Bell's Field and we heard about the lock on St. Patrick's Day and various other places. House parties around the city and county. Uh, one or two of them down East Cork, very big house parties being broken up. The latest thing I hear, I hear, haven't seen any evidence, is now vaccine parties where everybody's had their vaccine. And they're getting together to have a house party to celebrate getting the vaccine. Still not allowed. Uh, and there's a lot of reports coming from the the general area of Glenham Moy, Councillor Ted Tynan. Ted, good morning. Morning, PJ. Uh, an overnight party recently. <clears throat> oh, yeah. Un- unbelievable. Like talking to a number of people living in the area. About Friday evening, maybe around 11 o'clock, they started arriving and it continued all night long up until about 7am the following morning on Saturday morning. And you can imagine the impact that it has on other people who wanted a night's sleep, people with young children, and it all impacted on those. No, um, was this outdoor or indoor, Ted? It was indoor, yeah, yeah, in the apartments. And in fact, there was an incident there then where the, front, the, the door into one of the apartments was kicked at and forced open. And to the wrong door, to the wrong place. Obviously, it was a, a drug death, not page, you know. And what we're witnessing here now, um, PJ, and I don't want to, and I, I by the way, I apologise to the decent people of Glenham Island, the vast majority of whom, 90% of whom, live their lives normally and get on with life and look after their children and etc., etc., you know. But... Why does a tiny minority have to do this then, you know? And in fact, I was listening to your contributor early in the morning about addiction services. And I meet some of these people in the broad daylight and butter wouldn't melt in their mouth, you know? <laughs> and they're pleasant. And yet you'll see them after. Um, I suppose it's triggered off by alcohol and then the other um, illegal drugs arriving in, into the group on the scene. And of course, they're out of control and totally irresponsible and all that, you know. So, but I I keep coming back again, uh, PJ, and I know your father was a guardian of the house, and I and I've the highest regard for the guardie. <clears throat> but it's the numbers of them is 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 my issue. The community policing is not in the area; it's not strong enough. Yeah. <clears throat> now. Take, for instance, two or three guards in uniform walking through housing estates. Like, it's a rare enough occasion now to see that, but when I when I see guards walking past my, where I'm living above, in Silver Springs Lawn, the, um, you're impressed by it, you know, yeah. and and you're delighted to see that uniform guard or walk your own. Yeah. And when community guards are trained then to be nice and decent with people, but people who are acting the maggot then, we had a great community policing programme yeah. and we had a particularly good programme in Mayfield, I seem to remember a few years ago, but it, it, it yeah. fell by the wayside and part yeah. of it was, and yeah. I was picking, I remember talking to Trevor Laffin about this, who was exactly. a community guard, that yeah. they, they just made the rostering changes, just made it impossible <laughs> to keep doing it properly. Yeah. Just in terms of, the, of the, the party though, I think the big fear is there, Ted, of a fire because there's no proper fire escapes. Yeah. yeah. 
people are saying that to me lately, you know, and I lived in Glenaboy Lawn, like we lived there uh, for nine, the best part of nine years, and fantastic, you know. But when you're not living in the area, then even though I go there almost a couple of times a week and I walk around that area, it's only when a number of people said it to me over the last day or two and the fire escape particularly the top floors, you know, there's three floors, there. there's the ground floor, first floor and second floor. Yeah. And if you're on the top floor, there's three three flights of stairs below you. And if there's a fire down in the well of the of the building, which is where somebody's uh, parties are gathering underneath the stairwell, then if there's a fire, because they seem to head then for bins of rubbish, as you know, and yeah. they'll haul a bin out and burn it. Yeah. Some nights, it, on a wet night or a wintry night, they may very well bring it indoors and decide to light a fire. It could be by accident or by devilment or whatever. Mm. But when when the the alcohol kicks in, you know, and these... I know these young fellas, they're 14, 15, 16, around the estate, and I speak to them and I meet them during the daytime. Like, they're, they're sound out, they're, they're grand, they're great, but... Not when they're high on drugs or alcohol then that night. They're impossible to speak to, you know. And now I know the city council have a housing office there and I won't name them, but there's three of them there and they're doing their best. But I think there has to be a greater presence of community policing yeah. uh, from the Mayfield Garda station or whatever. Yeah. And I, I notice exactly... Because are they able to do it, Ted, in, in the knowledge? And we had this before... A number of years ago, in in another part of of Mayfield, there where there was an ongoing amount of problems, and I think you were one of the, the people making the point that the guards just don't simply have the manpower or or yeah. the ability to get up there yeah. and just drive just drive the squad car around and do a few laps, yeah. so people who are up to no good can do it with yeah. impunity because they know they won't yeah. be caught. Yeah, and in fact, this last Saturday week. Um, about nine nine o'clock in the evening, there was a gang uh, drinking on the um, the GA pitches up at the top of Mayfield, and Mayfield United have a pitch there as well, and uh, Mayfield Village used the community pitch. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. They come off the community pitch and smashed in the front window of a house. For no no connection, they then dragged it and the rubbish bin out and set it on fire. This was about nine o'clock in the evening, and there was about twenty to twenty-five uh, youngsters there, including a couple of young girls as well, you know. Mm-hmm. And then they joined the gang, and to half a dozen, then we lacked the maggots, you see, and burned mm-hmm. the rubbish, smashed the front window, Ted. and. You're a long time working with the young people up there and I I would take your view very seriously because you understand them to to give you great credit. But, but, you know, we talk about young fellas and girls sitting around drinking a bag of cans, which, you know, that ain't the worst sin they'll ever commit, Ted. 
Let's no, be fair about not. it, right? Sitting no. out in the gap pitch or sitting up in a green yeah. with a bag of cans, it's not the worst thing they're ever going to do. Yeah. But yeah. but what happens then is one or two of them decide to pull Mrs. Murphy's yeah. wheelie bin out and burn and it. What? Yeah. What's the thought process that goes from one to the other? What turns the harmless into the harmful? I mean, you've talked oh. to these lads. You must understand yeah. something yeah. at this stage. Yeah. It, well, the only link I can see is alcohol and other drugs, you know, that um, they, they, and no, also, John Lonigan, the governor, the ex-governor of Mount Joy Prison, yeah. he would tell you like that, if you come across a hundred youngsters, first-time offenders and all that, you can turn 70, 70 of them around, 70%. But the 30% then, he said, will always have mischief and evil in them, you know, so... And I think where you see a gang of 20 or 30 youngsters, it's only the three or four among them that will do this then and they'll haul out the bin. But uh, if the Gardaí are familiar with those young people and familiar in the area and walking around the, um, and getting to know them, they get to know the Gardaí. And I saw the Gardaí operating 10 and 12 years ago around by Glen and my lawn. The Gardaí would walk up, knew them by their first names, Come on, old lads, you're going home and we'll walk down along with you mm. and we'll have a crack, you know? And that type of approach by Trevor Laffin and John O'Connor and the others is, is is quite effective, you know? And because most youngsters will come to their senses when they meet a guard in uniform and he's talking about a common sense, they'll go home. There is a tiny minority, all right, as John Lanigan says, 30%. You find it hard to turn them around, you know? Mm. But... The 70% at least can be saved. And if you talk to Don O'Leary up in um, the Life Sound Centre, yeah. he'd tell you about the guys who are coming in in their 20, 20 years of age, 19, 21, 22, and they'll tell you frightening stories. They're in bits. And after a while, inside with Don O'Leary's team above, they recover their kind of self-esteem and their confidence comes back to them. And particularly those then who go on and do... Um, projects in CIT and UCC mm. they get their little um, award and a certificate and I've attended those functions in Coxley Hall and they're six foot tall, tall. Yeah. Is, is it a deprivation you know? thing Ted? Is it a it lack is, of opportunity? It is yeah. yeah and it's generation as well I know people um, like take for example illegal don't be a rubbish no I don't nail every one of them to the cross at all because some of them have difficulties. Somebody have a problem in keeping up with payment. I've, I've met young people whose families before them, and it's it's um, and it's those kids that need that extra little bit of care. The guys who are up the out of school at twelve and thirteen, they need to be contacted by some uh, state-run organisation, as there used to be. The youth workshops that worked in Mayfield twenty years ago, and. Those guys, um, the teachers, if they weren't into school that morning by half nine, they've made, they phoned the contact number in, in the in the youth workshop. Mm. The youth workshop will call to the house, bring them up to the um, centre, which was there behind the um, the, the church in Mayfield. <clears throat> and I, I know one guy who became an electrician out of it. Yeah, he ended up with his girlfriend, electrician. Yeah. His mother was living in a part of Mayfield and she was praising the work that and his experience. Yeah. He's now married and settled down the qualified yeah. electrician. Yeah. Oppor- he went opportunities wrong, he need opportunities yeah. need to be provided. And the state 
state should provide these opportunities, PJ. You know? Finally, coming back to, to, to Glenamoy, yeah. and I guess we're heading, this is Wednesday, we're, we're heading uh-huh. into another weekend, which yeah. means that, like yeah. you said, the many, many good people, the many, many wonderful people up yeah. there will be afraid of all this happening again. Can we yeah. do anything to prevent it? Well, I would now publicly appeal to the, there's two or three individuals who were involved last weekend, and I would appeal to them. The council are aware of them, the council have spoken to them, and the council can only threaten eviction or something like that in the long term. But I appeal to those people, and they are women, by the way, and I appeal to them to please realise what's going on. There was one woman who, uh, a child was uh, with going to a special needs school, and she had a terrible night with, with that youngster who's, um, I think he's about seven years of age. She had a terrible night last uh, Friday night, you know. And I'm appealing to those two or three women that were involved in that. And I know them and they know me, but I appeal to them to please learn from what happened last weekend and also to show respect then to the health services, the doctors and nurses and the, the cleaning staff. And like I was praising the car Council staff recently, the people who sweep our streets and pick up the filth and dirt and the syringes and all that. Appeal to the people who indulge in these activities just to think of those people who will keep your cities clean and safe and all that, you yeah. know. So, Ted, finally, and I'm, I'll put this one to you. I've I, I very much seized on this um, vaccines for the guards after I had a, a conversation with a guard who I met over the weekend at a checkpoint. Yeah. I, I was going home and I had a conversation with the guard and um, I said, uh, any sign of you getting vaccines? And he said, no. And he said, I'll be very honest with you. He said, I'm going home. Yeah. I've, I've, I've a youngster at home who's immunocompromised yeah. and I'm, what am I bringing home? How important is it, Councillor Ted Tynan, that we have our guards vaccinated as a matter of urgency? Should be done as a matter of urgency. It should have been done by now. And I, I support your comments 100%, PJ, on that. And like the, the HSE, too, uh, you know, I, 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 in a big debate in the council about a year ago, and I said, I fear for the future because I don't see the HSE as a fully functioning public health authority because of the agenda privatisation of health services. And I, I suggested maybe Cuba should be contacted because they have a fantastic health service yeah. in Cuba. And I've been out there and I witnessed that, you know. And um, take, for example, in, in, in uh, a, a nursing home where seven staff uh, um, fell, became sick. They were moved to the a hotel in the city. They were, um, the following day, they were all, they all tested positive. They were then ordered out of the hotel by the owners of the hotel. The HSE then, and this is a fact, um, PJ, the HSE then contacted the, the seven workers to make their way to the City West Hotel in Dublin. Yeah, I heard that. I heard that story. It is going around. Yeah. Just it's, but it's the, the only centre, imagine, in Dublin, yeah. the city west hotel for the whole republic. The the that importance of va- vaccinating you know? the guard, though, you know, we can't understate that. No, no, okay. and I a hundred percent, and I I know many guardy, and um, I support one hundred percent to call that they should be vaccinated immediately. Okay. Let's organise this. Uh, today is Wednesday. Let's have them all vaccinated by next Sunday. Wouldn't it know? be wonderful so. if we could? Thank you very much, Councillor Ted Tynan of the Workers' Party. And this is just something, and I started it off my own bat in the last few days, and I think that conversation I had at the weekend and people speaking to me because they know my own background with my, with my dad and all that, like, 
can we vaccinate the guards now? Like the sooner, it, there's eleven thousand of them. You know, it's 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 not even a van load. Can we get the guards vaccinated like today or tomorrow or preferably before, as Ted said, within a week? And, and this program will drive that forward. We will not stop talking about it until it starts to happen. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850-715-996. On Cork's 96FM. Yeah, just a quick mention there, Ed, Councillor Tynan was back on. He's submitting a motion to the council uh, asking for an investigation into the concerns of the residents in Clenamoy and Ardvalia because of the lack of proper fire escapes. And residents are also contacting the council as well. So we'll, we'll follow that one with interest. It's only when someone points out to you the, the situation with regard to fire escapes, you think, crikey, yeah. Bad up there. 1850-715-996. I was just looking at the numbers with regard to the guards. I've been saying 11,000. Those numbers, my numbers are a bit out of date. There's 12,500 detectives. So you'd have about 14,000 would be the full. 14,500 is about the full strength of uh, on Garda Shikana as we speak today. It's still only a van load and it's still only a, a weekend or maybe half a week to get them all vaccinated and it needs to happen, needs to happen quickly. 1850-715-996 The Trauma Response Network of Ireland is offering free trauma therapy support for essential workers. It's part of a study to develop the research further into trauma and the suffering on the front line because, let us face it, since day one uh, there were thousands of people who've had to continue to go to work, nurses and doctors and guards and firefighters who've had to continue to go to work, paramedics, and they've gone in onto the front line when the rest of us were staying safely at home, out of the way, and minding ourselves. They didn't have a choice. Johnny Moran is the National Coordinator with Trauma Response Network Ireland. Tell me about the research, Johnny. Good morning. Uh, good morning, uh, PJ. Uh, thanks very much for having us on your show. Um, yes, uh, this is phase two. We started it last year. Um, so we've just launched phase two now. We're in the worker recruitment stage. And as you said, it's for all essential workers, frontline workers, which would include guards, first responders, emergency care, also essential retail staff, logistics staff, teachers. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're, we're in the recruitment stage at the moment. Um, the sessions will start up in April. And basically what's on offer is a person applies through the Trauma Response Network Ireland site. Uh, there's a portal. They fill out a few questions. Somebody contacts them, does an interview. And if they meet the trauma, we're, we're focusing on people who suffered work trauma related to COVID. Yeah. So that would be somebody who, you know, finds himself in a situation where that's overwhelming. Or it could be a buildup of just going in and out and being overwhelmed. And as you said, PJ, you know, the thing about frontline workers and essential workers is that they're, they're facing all the challenges the rest of us are, are, are facing with our family and in our, in our immediate environments. And then they're also going in, you know, and have been going in now for, for a year, uh, right in the middle of the, the war zone. 
so obviously, you know, it takes a lot out of people. Uh, people suffer trauma. And, and the research supports, if you can get the trauma early, if you can get single incident trauma early, um, you, can, you can take it out. So we, we've based, uh, the research is based on the same protocols um, that have been used in 9-11, say, that have been used in the Boston, in the bombings, or Manchester, or Paris. Yeah. So they're about uh, where somebody suffers an individual trauma and we use an approach based on a therapy called EMDR. Um, and we're working in partnership, actually, with the EMDR All-Ireland Association. And believe it or not, the president of the EMDR All-Ireland Association is a fellow from Cork called Gus Murray. Right. So he's one of your, he's one of your own. Uh, but, um, yeah, so that's basically it. So we get them in for four, four, four sessions. If somebody applies and they don't make the cut, we have a support service they can go to. If somebody comes and it's intensive, it's two-hour sessions, four in a row, and at the end of it, they need more support, we have a follow-on service. So what happened in phase one was that most people didn't need follow-on service. Um, so and, and certainly it has the potential to bring the symptoms down. So the type of symptoms would be, you know, somebody might notice sleep, they're not sleeping right, they're having nightmares, um, the mood swings, uh, tiredness, um, they might sometimes be getting flashbacks to something, they might notice their anxieties coming up. Some people get the anxiety and then they might get a bit depressed. So all of these side symptoms and the person's trying to figure out, Jesus, what's, you know, what's wrong with me? What's, what's come on? And it might be a build-up or it might be one incident. Uh, but the trouble with trauma is that if you don't treat it, it tends to stay in the body. And yeah. then, like an onion, layers of things can happen on top of it. So the whole idea is early response. Get, get, the, get the symptoms early. Uh, do the treatment. Um, and the other thing is it's all online. So we've no issues with covid um, another interesting thing is that once the person registers with Trauma Response Ireland, they get an ID number, uh, so their ID is completely confidential. So when they're doing the sessions, they're known as a number. So it's completely set up in a way that it's confidential. Another interesting thing about it is you don't have to talk about your trauma. Yeah. So what we do is we do, quest we do questionnaires that have to be filled out and an interview, and then when the person's working, it's very resource-based. They're sent a worksheet, and from the worksheet, it's, it's very much about positive resourcing and then dipping in and out of the traumatic event. But they don't have to talk about it. So we call that kind of blind to therapist, which, again, can be very helpful because sometimes people are embarrassed, maybe, or, you know, they feel, you know, particularly health and care workers because, you know, they're, they're dedicated and they feel it's their duty to keep going and support each other, support their colleagues. So from that point of view, um, you know, burnout is certainly something that we've been coming up a lot. Yeah. Uh, People going a lot of sick leave. I'd say if you got the numbers from the HSE, that you know the sick leave uh, is way up, understandably so. And I suppose one of the concerns now is that because I suppose you know if you look at the reality of the state the HSE was in uh, prior COVID, where you had five hundred thousand people on waiting lists, where you had uh, trolleys, you know, in, in two thousand and twenty, fifty-three thousand people on trolleys, twelve thousand people on trolleys in January two thousand and nineteen. Before COVID, yeah. in fact, my own mother uh, in 2018, she's in her 80s, she ended up in Bowman, she had a fall, and they didn't even have a trolley for her. She was on a wheelchair for 17 hours and she caught pneumonia, and we had to take her to another hospital. But the point is, where you had a health, a public health service that was already stretched, yeah. this, you know, that was already understaffed, that there was a recruitment ban, you, you know, it was never going to... It was never yeah. going to manage well. Pe people were stressed. Everybody. People were stressed yeah. going into this, Johnny. Let, let, let alone what has happened in the past twelve months. So, where can someone contact you to either avail of the service or get involved with you in some way? 
Yeah, well, well the, the, the main contact is through our website, uh, and our website is uh, www.trnireland.ie. So all the information is on the website, um, and there's a portal where you can click to apply. And then once you apply and fill out, you just ask a couple of questions about your trauma, a couple of details about your symptoms, and then someone contacts you, great. and then from, from there we, we, we move forward with it. Okay, listen, good luck with it, and it's great work you're doing. Thanks very much. Johnny Moran from the Trauma Response Network of Ireland. The Blarney Resort story is back in the news again. Uh, with, Of course, it having been sold to the HSE, uh, the hotel, and to be developed into some kind of a care complex, nursing home, probably too broad a term, but it's been built into a care complex. But still a lot of people left without money and without satisfaction from when it closed. Kate Durant can bring us up to speed. Kate, what, remind listeners again, what actually happened here? It just all went belly up very quickly, didn't it? Good morning. It did. And, you know, I was reminding myself this morning, knowing I was going to be coming on and speaking with you. And really, since it opened in 2005, it's not been without drama. Like, it, it opened, it was very welcome. There were kind of eyebrows raised at the time because it was quite remote. It, like, it's called the Blarney Golf Resort, but unless you've got a car. And, a, and I'd say a good seven or eight minute drive. It's not actually in Blarney. It's the other side of town, as you know well. Mm. Um, but a few things helped. The Blarney Park Hotel closed in October 2007, which was a great help because it was outside of Christie's. It was the only hotel and a good family hotel. It had a great leisure centre, really lovely staff, all local people. But even when it opened... Um, it opened late 2005. By 2007, it was in arbitration in the courts for not paying its bills. By 2008, there was a blockade in front of the, the drive. By 2009, it was in the High Court. So it's just been, it just seems to have leapt from one kind of, I don't know how it's kept trading so long and how the staff kept the show on the road for so long. Um, because it's just been a, a comedy of errors, to be honest with you. Uh, a good ending, as you quite rightly say, you know, the fact that there's going to be a community nursing unit after all the rumours all summer of direct provision and local authority housing and other things, which given it remoteness really, really wouldn't have been ideal. Mm. So I think locally everyone's really pleased, but of course, as you quite rightly point out, there's still the matter of, um, this, it's still not resolved, is it? Yeah. People are owed all sorts of money. Yeah, they are. And, you know, I, I, we don't, like, it's the staff I feel very sorry for who sold all the vouchers and stuff. I mean, it was trading away. 2009, it went into receivership and it stayed in receivership, dropping from 12 million until it was actually picked up for 2.5 million in March 2014 by a guy who, who came down, Tom O'Gorman, put money into it, looked after the staff. He then sold it on in 2018 to a developer, John McCann. And everything was gone fine. And I would have been in and out of there and it was it was kept spruce, it was kept nice. They actually put quite a lot of money into it the year before it closed by redeveloping the bar and the menus and they were kind of doing local competitions and really trying, I felt. Um, now, whether it was staff-driven or whether it was owner-driven, I don't know. But So December 2019, everyone goes in, you know, buy local, everyone buys their vouchers for the leisure centre, for massages. We've all got them. You've only got to throw a stone in Blarney that you'd hit somebody who's got a voucher in their hand. Mm. Um, And the staff, who are local people who who were selling them in great good faith to their neighbours, their friends, their family, probably bought some themselves, knew none of this. And then in early January, as had been the case for the last five or six years, the hotel's closed for a kind of for a seasonal adjustment if you like for two or three months they did the place up painted the skirting boards um and and then opened again as is quite common in that business so the staff um, went on what they thought was their annual shutdown expecting the hotel to reopen in february 
and it just kept being pushed out. As you know, mm. you, you were great. Help. I know that cold days, Fiona stood out there trying to help people um, find out what was happening. They pushed it out and pushed it out and pushed it out. Um, and as we know now that it never opened again, And but it was kind of, it was so shabbily done. Mm. You know, there was meetings cancelled. People never turned up for meetings. The staff didn't want to sign on the door because they would have lost their rights. So a lot of them were there since 2005. So they'd have lost any statutory rights they had. And so a lot of them, they, they couldn't pay their bills. You know, it was after Christmas. Had they known it was closing down, you know, so many people said, God, if we'd have known we were going to be jobless in January, yeah. we'd have really, we'd have cut back at Christmas, we'd have made an allocation, but no, not at all. Things were fine. Yeah. So the way it was done was deplorable. No, I think we've got some worked. good news has come through, even as we were preparing this morning, that a lot of workers, former workers, have now gotten their holiday pay and they've gotten their pay in lieu of notice and pretty much everything they were owed. That's so, superb. So that's, that's, superb. That, that's a good thing. So we'll leave that there with you, Kate. Mm. And thanks very much for refreshing us on, on that, uh, that history. But very briefly, uh, Mick Barry, uh, TD, is organising a meeting. That's good news, Mick, that that money is being paid and rightly should, so, so it should be. But there's other monies owing that you're trying to pursue as well. Yeah, there's monies uh, that we're owing to basically three groups. Uh, group one was the workers. Uh, Group 2 are hundreds of uh, members of the leisure complex uh, who would have had, you know, memberships, individual or family, varying from maybe €100 to about €1,000. And then you've got the people who, you know, maybe had the place booked for uh, a wedding function or or what have you. Now, uh, all the groups have been doing their best um, to keep the pressure on uh, the former owners, uh, and to make sure that justice is done here. Mm. Uh, of course, they've had to go without what's owed to them rightly for over a year in some cases now. Yeah. Um, you have an online put... meeting tonight, though, have you? Yeah, there's an online meeting tonight. Uh, it's, it's for anyone who's owed money, but particularly it's focused in on the former members of the uh, leisure complex. Um, um, you know, I'm just looking at a, a message that's just come in there from a a chap who had um, a membership for his family and reckons that he's owed about 650 euro, okay? Uh, And and there's hundreds of people in situations uh, like this. There will be a solicitor uh, at the meeting tonight. Um, We will note the fact that uh, workers were paid their back pay on holiday and it seems uh, money in lieu this morning. That's to be confirmed Um, uh, as a sign that, that everyone will be paid within 30 days uh, of the deal that was announced on March the 11th, but we're not going to sit back and just wait for money to appear in okay. people's accounts. There's, we're going to be looking at our options, including legal options. Okay. Uh, where where can people access this meeting, Mick? If someone um, uh, was to contact me, direct message me on my Facebook page, that's uh, Mick Barry TD Facebook page, send me your details there and we'll, we'll, we'll post you out the Zoom details for the meeting. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Courts 96 FM. Quick reminder to you that it is Daffodil Day this Friday, March 26th. A very, very important day in the calendar of the Irish Cancer Society. And unfortunately for them, same as last year, they cannot go on the street to sell their lovely daffodils this year. So in partnership with Boots, it's going ahead virtually. Uh, You can get involved by helping the Irish Cancer Society to provide those crucial services it provides to adults and children 
donate at cancer.ie. So Daffodil Day, as we know it, can't happen this Friday. Again, unfortunately, two years running, but is a full virtual operation online cancer.ie so get out there and support Daffodil Day I spoke with uh, incredibly brave and we had a good conversation last night myself and a man called Neil about his cancer journey and we'll be hearing about that on Friday to mark uh, Daffodil Day Uh, and it'll be it'll serve as a sanitary warning particularly to men to mind yourself because cancer can creep up on you but uh, Neil will also talk about the incredible support that he and his family have had from the uh, Irish Cancer Society and from Ark House all of whom are supported by Daffodil Day this Friday so go online and check that one out won't you 1850-715-996 the number the text to WhatsApp 083-396-9696 the email Opinion at 96fm.ie. If you missed anything in the course of our first couple of hours this morning, do remember the podcast, available early afternoon. Put it on Twitter, and then we go to all the various platforms and the Cork's 96FM app. And indeed, if you're one of the many, many people who now listen to our podcast every day, and particularly since lockdown, the number of people streaming our podcast and the number of people taking our streams digitally anyway has shot up so if you're listening in particular on the podcast the best way to contact it is opinion at 96fm.ie some comments that I'm uh, holding over because we're just busy today Uh, am I right in saying City Hall is ready for vaccines for the last eight weeks but is still not in operation well if you drive past the City Hall you'll see it all set up for vaccination and it will be a vaccination hall centre with I think 30 or 40 vaccination booths set up in it for mass vaccinations which presumably are to get underway either late April or early May and they'll be able to vaccinate a couple of thousand people a day but at the moment they just don't have the supply but yes it is and Parky Cueve I believe will be one Uh, they have one at the moment out in what used to be CIT it's now MTU uh, but yeah, vaccine centre built at City Hall, ready to rock, but they don't have the stuff to go into the needles just yet. Uh, just coming back to our vaccines for the guards, which we will continue to bang that drum for as long as we need to bang it. Someone is asking, can we please not forget the prison officers? They are frontline workers too. Are, front, are prison officers not yet vaccinated? And if not, why not? Of course they should be vaccinated. They're frontline workers as well. And lots of people connected to prison officers and prison officers' families that listen to this programme. And am I to understand from that message that prison officers are not yet vaccinated? Well, if they're not, they should be. Tom fully agrees with the campaign for vaccines for the guards. It's astonishing that the HSE as a state organisation isn't using joined-up thinking on the best way to keep all this going. I agree with you, all guards should have the vaccine by now. They have a horrible job on the streets and they have wives and children or partners to go home to after dealing with scumbags. They don't want to bring that COVID home to their families. I think they're doing a great job. And on the situation in Mayfield, which we were talking to Ted Tynan about, Andrew says, Morning PJ, unfortunately there's no vaccine 
or never will be a vaccine for ignorant, selfish people who have those house parties and those in society who are supposed to be leaders and pillars of our community deeming it fit to go golfing in Galway. Jerry's got a long message on lockdown. I'll get to that before we finish. And there's also, I think, Michael O'Flynn, the Cork developer, has given an interesting interview this morning with regard to the future of the construction sector. We'll get to that if we can. Before we finish today, but I want to talk about a new book that is out. And it's, I think, probably, I know I certainly have heard it as a father uh, when the kids were growing up. And I'm sure every father in Cork and in Ireland, I suppose, has at some point heard the plaintive cry from the other end of the room, Jesus, do I have to do everything around here? And when you think you've been doing the best you can to help your wife or partner with the children, you kind of say, look, just just name it and it shall be done. Uh, They are still cracking under the weight of what's called the invisible job. It's a fascinating name for it. And I want to talk about the author, or to the author, of a new book called The Invisible Job. And that's Paula Fiance. Paula, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. It's lovely to talk to you. And to you. It is that plaintive cry, do I have to do everything around here? And I know in my own case, I was there, hang on, I, I've done the nappies, I've done feeds, I've done that. What, what are you talking about? I think you've nailed it there that there's a big misunderstanding, PJ. I think that today's generation of men, they're on for anything. They're on for nappies. They're on for, just like you said, name it and I'll do it. I had no choice. So, we had twins. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, hats off to you for, for that. Well, I think that you've just, you've actually hit the nail on the head when you said, name it and I'll do it. The issue is that there's there's a misunderstanding and it's a genuine misunderstanding. It is not that there's any dad out there today who's not on for doing his absolute fair share. That happened in generations gone by, but not today. But there's still a big misunderstanding. So the first one is men are absolutely willing to opt in. Like you just said, name it and I'll do it. But the problem is partners don't want women don't want their partners or vice versa so the way around to have to tell them what to do. Well, instead, we need to be both kind of in charge of it, both understand what needs to be done and be like joint project managers. Because the thing, and there's a lot of women who feel that, that this is what happens in their relationship, there's, they don't like being carrying the mental load for having to kind of be in charge. Because in theory, if you're both doing 50-50, that's brilliant, but what causes all the stress is if one person is project managing everything and having to ask the other person to do A, then B, then C. That's called a mental load. Mm. And believe it or not, that's more tiring than any one job by itself. So that's one misunderstanding. What you're thinking here basically is John and Mary, they've just Mm -hmm. had a baby and John Mm -hmm. will do absolutely anything that Mary asks him to do but she feels she shouldn't have to ask him. Well, she'd rather not. What she'd really rather is for John to be absolutely learning at the same rate as her. Now, John, I, you're just a hypothetical John, 
somehow thinks that maybe Mary just knows how to do this better than me, um, or maybe she doesn't want me to interfere. But actually, neither John nor Mary has a clue what to do when a new baby arrives. And I think it's very important for men out there to, to realise that. They can often think, I sure I wouldn't be any good at that kind of thing. But men can be absolutely brilliant every bit as good as their partners at anything to do with being a dad, being a mom or things at home. But what the key thing is, is to know in advance, what are we letting ourselves in for? You know, it's going to be exciting. You know, it's going to be challenging. But most parents haven't a clue what's coming and it kind of hits them like a a ton of bricks. So what this book does is it gives you a whole kind of job description for what's about to land into your lives. And when you read it, you'll go, Jesus, seriously, how are we going to do that? You know, but it explains what's involved. Anyone who's currently doing this will go, yep, oh, recognize that one. Oh, I know all about that one. But their partner right now still might be a little bit confused as to what's involved. They might know a thing exists, like cooking the dinner or organizing a, kids football but what actually is involved is a little bit of a grey area so it kind of spells that out but the Mm. most important thing is to be prepared if you had if you were going to a new job tomorrow you'd want a job description you wouldn't wouldn't want just to you know crack away at it and see how are you doing instead this gives you a whole list of what's involved so that you can decide together how are we realistically going to do this? And especially it's important for both of you are working because you each have your two jobs. You're busy enough as it is. And suddenly along comes this other job that will take up about 60 hours a week. And you somehow have to make time for it. And the best way to do it is by being absolute partners, knowing what it involves, cutting out stuff that you say, ah, to hell with that and that. We can't manage those parts. And then split the rest of them. But the second big uh, part where people misunderstand this, as you said, you know, uh, you're very happy to do whatever is asked. There are actually... Now, there'll obviously be an amount of stuff, Paula, that you'll know. And and, and that basically, if you don't know, you probably shouldn't be left out on your own. You know, you know that you have to change the occasional nappy. You know that you have to get up in the middle of the night and feed Mm -hmm. if you are in a position to feed. Obviously, men can't breastfeed, but you know yourself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You, You know that you have to do that kind of stuff. Right, mm-hmm. and and you know that she is going to be exceptionally tired from doing it all day. Mm-hmm. So what stuff don't we know that we should? Okay, I'll make it really, really, really simple. Is there are a million jobs, so just accept that you never get to all of them, but there are twenty three of them that have to happen extremely frequently, maybe every 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 day, at least several times a week. And there's nearly no flexibility around when you have to do them. So you just mentioned there getting out of bed in the middle of the night. There's no flexibility. Can't wait till tomorrow. So it's these ones that grind people down. So 23 of them, have a look at those and work out how to divide those up and then take ownership for them. And you mentioned there, you know, helping out. The key thing is to take complete ownership for them. So if you're responsible Say, for instance, you know, cooking midweek dinners. It doesn't mean that, you know, oh, well, yeah, I know I have to do that now. I'll wait till she asks me. It's being fully responsible for planning, uh, working out up ahead, what do I need to get in? I need to do the shopping and then doing it and having no one to come back and ask you to do it. Um, it, It's just taking full accountability for it. Mm. So that's the part that, that 
where, where the confusion comes in. And that's what leads to this uh, terrible situation where one person thinks, I'm doing my best here, and yet you're asking me to do something else. You need to be independent project managers of your own fair share. And actually fair, this is the good news now for anyone who thinks they're suddenly going to have a huge list of things to do. Fair doesn't even mean you have to do half. Out of these 23 kind of things that happen very frequently with no flexibility, if men even do 30% of those, as the studies in the book show, generally partners, both partners feel that's pretty good. That's pretty fair. I no longer feel like I'm doing everything. And if you don't get to the other, you know, all the other 138 things, to hell with it. But it's how you share those. And the key thing, actually, is that right from the beginning, both partners should be given a chance to learn all the new skills that are to do with being a parent. Mm-hmm. It, and it gives you a great sense of, you know, pride and accomplishment as a parent because you're both starting from zero and you have to help each other. Don't be tempted to jump in and say, oh, I'm better at doing that. Give each other room and help each other learn how to do it. And it ends up not only seven years after your first child are you less likely to be divorced, but that's true. No, this is, these really? are all based on study. Absolutely true. If it's, and especially the key thing is that if a dad gets to spend one month solo parenting, that makes the biggest difference in the world to the stability of that relationship seven years later. Why, is it because based he realises the enormity of the job? They, not only that, and that's a crucial part, but also it gives the mother a chance to have little breaks. Little breaks make all the difference, but it, but it really enables afterwards both partners to appreciate. It doesn't matter so much who's doing what, no matter who's doing it, the other person needs to appreciate it. And until you've done it yourself, it can look very easy. It looks deceptively easy. I mean, we all know people who have children and they haven't died. It looks okay. You try it yourself and you realise, good God. <laughs> well, I, I have said for many years that if if a man had the first child, there would never have been a second. Um, but 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 I guess in terms of raising children... And this is where I think gender inequality is dealt with. You deal in the book a lot with gender differences and gender stereotypes. It's Mm -hmm. kind of sewn into us as men. It's knitted into us by life that certain jobs are mammy's jobs and certain jobs are daddy's jobs. But that's all changing. That's exactly why I wrote this book. I think that anybody who's in their 20s today has the ability to make a new society in this country and, and in every country. And actually in Ireland, we have one of the furthest stretches to go. We're, we're the furthest out of kilter with inequality. And, you know, we all know that women are capable of being whatever they want to be in work, but they're actually prevented from reaching the top of their careers in whatever they're doing because we haven't yet got rid of this baggage of, oh, that stuff, that's part of the identity of being a, a, a female. They are the ones who, when it comes to it, they've got to somehow make space in their lives to be the project manager for home, for children. And we need to get past that. And I'm, I really feel that today's generation are 100% on board for seeing their partners as equals. And this book just gives them the tools to know how to do it. 
And the reason that that's important is we will, without wanting to, we will all slide into these roles, these gender roles, and it's, and you end up having a relationship that's not equal. But the bigger issue is that this is the reason that we have 42% of women with degrees who are classified as unemployed or out of work. And it's the reason that 76% of all the kind of caring unpaid work that happens around the world is done by women. Now, the, re- the real thing that's missing in this country is that men are not given an equal start. What I'd love to see is a system like they have in Iceland, where if you have a baby, the father gets three months of full pay and the mother gets three months of full pay. And then they get another three months to divide up between them as they want. And this enables both of them to learn without being under financial stress to have to pay the mortgage and everything else. They learn how to do these, all of these new skills and for it to be a lovely experience. Mm. And in Ireland, we have one of the poorest uh, paternity leave policies. It's, it's not even good enough for women, but it's absolutely not good enough for men. Mm. So if I was Taoiseach for the day, that's exactly what I'd love to give all the men in the country. On the face of it, when you read the summary of what's coming up in the book, it, it looks like a man-bashing exercise. I'm very happy to say that it's not. It's most mm-hmm. educational and actually quite entertaining. Paula, thank you very much. <laughs> and just to, just to let you know, you, if you go to theinvisiblejob.com, you can find a list of, of what these jobs are, anyone who, who's curious and more information about. Uh, lovely little videos with lots of women from all over Ireland and the UK. So have a look at there. All right. Good luck with it. Thanks very much. Paula Fiennes, author of The Invisible Job, 1850-715996. The drama is sensational. That's It's bound to come in when you start talking about vaccination for the Gardaí. And listen, we're going to push it. Uh, whether anyone likes it or not, we're going to push it. Don't care how much it annoys people. But it's a high priority for the opinion line at Cork's 96FM to ensure that Gardaí get vaccinated. Vaccinations for the guards, says this. What about retail workers who meet hundreds of people every day? Should they be vaccinated before the guards? It's a hard call. But I would suggest that retail workers and shop workers doing the fabulous work that they're doing, and we should thank every one of them every day, they're in less danger from scuts and bowsies than guards doing their work. So that's that one dealt with. What about the postal workers? No mention of them. They meeting people every day. Absolutely, postal workers. 
again on the front line. This is what happens when you try to compose a list of the front line. God, I remember I did this. I did this last year. I sat down, I spent 40 minutes with a pencil and paper writing out a list of what you'd consider frontline workers. And that list took me about three minutes to read. And I still got complaints about, you forgot him, you never mentioned them. So, you know, you can't win with this. Postal workers, absolutely. But again, I don't think that postal workers are going to be as threatened in their job by scuts and bowsies as guards. Like, no postal worker is going to have to go up to Bell's Field on Saturday afternoon and try to remonstrate with some, some drunken scrote about why he should go home. It's not going to happen. But I do take your point. They're all important in their own way. 1850-715-996. This apropos of absolutely nothing, because we haven't been talking about religion or mass or services, even though a lot of people I know want to celebrate Easter next week by doing things like going to their stations of the cross and going to their mass and all that. Of course, this is Palm Sunday. This is the Sunday of the long gospel. The long, it's much shorter than it used to be. The Sunday of the long gospel. Palm Sunday. And that will be done online. People want to go to their churches next weekend and it's probably not going to be possible. But this is where this, Peter, there are smaller religions, you know, minority religions operating away with no one checking up on them. Irish and non-national participants, in particular evangelical Christian, pre-Vatican Catholics and Islam. Yes, I did hear a report about a mosque that was quite crowded in Dublin uh, a few weeks ago and nobody seemed to say anything. 1850-715-996, I agree on vaccinations for the guards. Carers should be a priority too, says Mick Nugent. 1850-715-996, we had a response to Ted Tynan. Uh, my conversation with Ted Tynan about what's happening up in Glenamoy, uh, complaints about all-night house parties at the weekend and people up there very fearful that there'll be another one this weekend and also very fearful that a fire will start because there's no proper fire escapes and he was telling me he's going to raise it at the council and a lot of the residents are, are going to contact the council as well about proper fire escapes. We've been asking you for voice notes uh, to get your point on air. Here's one that's come in in the last while. Hi PJ, yeah I agree there with everything that Ted Tynan is saying there. Uh, it, it's just that the, the, the policing isn't there. And also then on another side of that as well, uh, we know that there's an announcement coming on April the 5th. But I think that a, young, a lot of the young lads, girls and boys, is that there's no sport there for them. The sport is closed down, camogie, hurling, football, soccer, and they're around the streets doing nothing like and what happens then is one does this and then the rest of them follow on and then they're going along then and just getting caught up in that whirlwind of actually doing nothing and only causing mayhem. So, you know, sports is a big thing because a lad who's committed to sports, he goes training regularly three nights a week and everything has been taken away from him. And then, no, you know, it's not his fault. It's what's going on with the pandemic. But I think, you know, that the sports has a big role to play with that. And they, they should be putting the sports back in, hopefully, in uh, April the 5th and get them back training and burn off that negative energy that they have, you know, because all they're doing is hanging around the place. But yeah, Ted Tynan is on the ball there and what he's saying, uh, especially with the courses that was run before from what he's saying. You just agree with everything he's saying and he's valid points all, all the way. Thanks for that. 
Thank you for that. And again, that's probably a guy who didn't have time to take a call and didn't want to be typing out a big, long message. So that's the open invitation to you. Voice note us on WhatsApp at 083 396 96 96. Number of points to be made there. We were talking a few months ago about multilingual messages for people to try to understand precautions, COVID precautions and you know, self-isolation and the importance of following the protocols. Because we think that everyone here speaks English or maybe Irish or maybe one or two other languages. But there's like 30, 40 languages spoken. You wouldn't believe it. Cork alone, there's 30 or 40 different languages being spoken. And it's a great idea um, coming from the health sector itself about the vaccine and messages about the vaccine for people. Sophia, good morning. Hello, good morning, PJ. Um, before I get into what you're actually doing, you were raised speaking Swahili. Yes, exactly. So I was born in Tanzania um, in a small town called Moshi, just um, at the foot of Mount Kilimanjaro. So yes, um, I grew up speaking Swahili and my mother's tribal language, which is Nyakusa. Um, and, of course, English then I learned in school. Right. Now, you're working here in Cork as an infectious disease surveillance assistant. What's that? Correct, yes. So, um, I, yeah, so basically I moved to Cork because, you know, my dad is um, Irish, my mom is Tanzanian, um, and I came over to Cork a few years ago. And now I'm working with the HSC South uh, here in Cork as a surveillance uh, assistant. And basically what, um, you know, my job entails is, you know, we're looking at um, the cases that are coming into us, uh, the COVID cases at the moment, uh, particularly because we've just been swamped with that um, over the last year. So looking at that, looking at where outbreaks are occurring and looking at the trends um, as to which, you know, they're occurring. So and try to then come up with, you know, um, solutions or kind of strategies to minimize uh at, you know the spread of infection. Right. Important part of the public health workforce. Then, so yes, you, yes. you've you've tra- or you've c- contributed to this um, multilingual effort, which is by translateireland.ie. They've been uploading the, the videos. So your video, obviously in in Swahili. How many people would speak Swahili in Ireland? Do you think, Sophia? Um, in Ireland, so there's not you know kind of you know, I suppose. Um, data on that yet. Um, however, um, it is a very widely spoken um, language in Africa. So, you know, including Tanzania, uh, Kenya, Uganda, Rwanda, Burundi, the Democratic Republic of Congo, right. and increasingly more and more people are speaking it. So, um, I suppose in Ireland, we would have a lot of, um, you know, immigrants coming from these regions. Um, and therefore, you know, some of them might not be as fluent in English or their level of English might not be as right. good. Right, um, Yeah. But a lot of them would have Swahili, have a good managing grasp of Swahili, and therefore, you know, our, our yes. African community, our ever-growing African community in Ireland, it would be useful yes. for them. So you, you mm-hmm. have, you've uploaded, what message did you upload? What what did you, what so, did you put from last year, I was involved with it. I was when Graham contacted me and, you know, we've been working together with other um, healthcare professionals from different kind of ethnic backgrounds 
to um, convey these healthcare or, or public health messages. So I did um, kind of guidelines that were within Ireland at the moment on, you know, prevention and control of COVID infections, um, you know, the restrictions as well. And so most recently, the video that will go up today is on the COVID-19 vaccine. Um, and I suppose just a breakdown of how that is, you know, going to be conducted within Ireland um, and, you know, when the different groups are due to get their vaccinations. Um, and so we also did particularly, you know, within their provision centres, we're seeing even within our department here, you know, uh, outbreaks and trends, particularly in those regions as well as uh, or areas, um, as well as with the travelling community. So um, it is a crucial area um, to kind of, you know, advertise or kind of deliver public health messages on COVID-19 and particularly now with the vaccination rollout. So um, so that will be the most recent kind of uh, output lately. Yeah, you were on the previous video campaign, I think, as well. Graham Clifford, of course, from from Translate yeah. Ireland. We've spoken to Graham about it. it this is such a, a simple and wonderful idea. It is, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I suppose impactful as well in terms of, you know, reaching to migrant communities within Ireland as, you know, off, very often they would be, you know, falling through gaps um, and then, you know, perpetuating into like health inequalities. So I'm very keen on that. And, you know, my one of my areas of interest um, as a kind of healthcare professional is, you know, migrant health and kind of minimizing health inequalities uh, within our communities. So, yeah. Yeah. I'm fascinated uh, by, by your own story, Sophia. Your dad, your, your dad's mm-hmm. an anesthetist um, yes. and met your mom while they yes. were both working in, in Tanzania in the 90s. Yes, correct. Um, so my dad was over there for a couple of years, actually. Um, so he did bring down his, you know, cork humor. And um, so they met with my mom, um, who was also working in the same hospital in Moshi. So, yeah. Um, and yeah, voila. <laughs> voila. And here you are doing wonderful exactly. work. Exactly. <laughs> yes, yes. No, and I suppose that's it. I always kind of grew up within... Um, you know, health environments um, and, you know, even in Tanzania I used to visit my mom's kind of workplace a lot, so I'd be quite familiar with the campaigns, you know, they would do on like AIDS, HIV, AIDS um, you know, female genital mutilation, so yeah, it's quite I suppose my interest sparked uh, from an early stage uh, through that all right, listen, fantastic work that you're doing and great talking to you, Sophia Egan, an infectious disease surveillance assistant with HSE South. But her her dad is from Cork, a retired anesthesiologist. Her mom is from Tanzania and she speaks Swahili. So she's one of 36 people. Swahili was the, the language in which she was reared, but she she's now it's one of 36 videos of different languages put up through Translate Dot IE as a, as a resource for people um, to talk about the vaccines and the rollout of the vaccines and how to understand it. Because can you imagine us here chatting among ourselves about vaccines and when I might get it, when you might get it, and Pfizer and Moderna and AstraZeneca? And imagine if your native language is Swahili or Mandarin or something else and you have no clue what we're talking about not a notion and there's no paperwork and there's no videos or nothing well that's a brilliant idea and Graham Clifford who's been on the show with us many many times uh, is the brainchild behind this and it's a wonderful plan uh, translateireland.ie and they all go live today on that website and on HSE Live see the minute you mention vaccines for any particular group 
you get this. What about the people that work cleaning the streets of Cork? I think when they open the City Hall for vaccinations, they should start there with their own staff first. And you're not wrong. You're absolutely right. The guys who... Another category of frontline workers who, regardless of what level of toxic virus load was floating around the street, they were out every morning with their sweeping brush and their baskets and their shovels cleaning up. They clean up seven mornings a week, 365 mornings a year. And uh, should they be up to the top of the line for a vaccine? Yeah, absolutely they should. But still, I think the guards deserve a level of priority above and beyond. And I'll stand over that with anybody. 1850-715-996 on Ted Tynan and what he had to say. Caller says, I thoroughly agree with Councillor Tynan and with the voice note that came in. Someone in my own family had all sorts of minor problems. It turned out it was down to not being active during lockdown. If you're a big strapping fella and you're active morning, noon and night, it can really have an effect effect on you to not be as active as you were. I hope that safer sports are reopened. But that's one of the things that they say they're considering. And we look into more detail, I guess, towards the end of next week towards the announcement all the leaks will come out There's a, there is a plan in that Neffet will write to the government this Thursday as they do every week and then somebody will leak that to all the Sunday papers but then on Monday and I'm not being cynical it's what happens that on Monday then the cabinet subcommittee will meet and the subcommittee of the subcommittee and the civil servants subcommittee and the subcommittee of the civil servants subcommittee will meet and then we think that now it's Holy Thursday that Michal Martin would address us as to what is happening after the 5th of April. But sure, we'll know. There won't be any surprises by the time he stands up to give his announcement. But it is coming. And one of the things that people are talking about is can we get out to play a bit of golf? Can we get out to play a bit of tennis? Can we get kids back training at the weekends following the same kind of rules we did last year? We'll be watching that with interest. 1850-715-996. Did you see the moon last night? Lots of pictures going around. The moon looked particularly fabulous last night and had a great big ring around it. Did you see that? You know, your eyes were not playing tricks on you. The moon had a ring around it. I think it's called a lunar halo. Let's find out. Francis McCarthy at Blackrock Castle Observatory. Francis, good morning. Good morning to you. You got it spot on. It's a lunar halo. What is it though? Wasn't oh, wasn't it's the moon? Okay, so I, I know I'm sounding funny here, but it's the moonlight that so the moon's right smack in the center of it, and it's about the size of your hand away from the moon. So you know, if you stretch out and put the heel of your palm of your hand on the moon, your fingertips are about where it is. So it's called a 22 degree halo. It's caused by tiny little ice crystals way high up, the cirrus ice crystals, you know? So those really high, wispy clouds in the daytime? Yeah. Well, the moonlight shines through these clouds and reflects and refracts and bends as it goes through these little ice crystals. So these particular size, tiny ice crystals bend the light of the moon. So you look and you go, oh, look, there's the moon. But some of the moonlight has t- bent on its journey and you go, oh, it's coming from next to the moon. It's coming from all around the moon. So that circle of light, and it was gorgeous, yeah. is actually the moonlight as well. 
Right. So the and moon it, it, has it's a tail. perfect circle, like with perfect with, circle. Yeah. With the, with the moon as we normally see it, slap bang in the middle. Exactly. And really noticeable at this time of year, because last night it was a first quarter moon, and that first quarter moon in the spring is really high. So it was up so high that it, you could see the whole arc of it, the whole halo. I had a friend ring me going, have you looked at the moon? Yeah. <laughs> and I stuck my head out and went, oh, yeah, lovely halo. He said, I'm not imagining it, am I? And I'm like, no, you're not imagining it. It's gorgeous. So I checked it. Apparently, it's more common than rainbows. Get away out of that. So you... I know. So think how often you see a rainbow, which is the sunlight bouncing off water droplets, making a beautiful arc. Right. You get the, get the connection. That arc of the rainbow is the same type of thing yeah. as that moon. But you only ever, saw. you don't see the full circle of the rainbow. We could see the no, full circle the, of this. No, the earth's in the way. If you're in an airplane, you can see the full circle. Wow. Isn't that cool to think that, you know, we should all be flying everywhere just to look at rainbows. Yeah. No, because it was gorgeous. It was abs- And it was a lovely oh, clear yeah. night for it as well. It was. It was. And, and, you know, there were two nice little bright stars next to it where Sir Castor and Pollux, Gemini was right next to it. And I was like, can you see this? And he can see that. And I dragged my husband out and he's like, is that what I'm looking at? I'm like, yeah, come on, let your eye adapt, get a little bit more used to it. My friend was on a walk, so he was able to see it. And he's the one who alerted me because I'd been out for my walk earlier. Mm. And I was settling in and he said, I thought you must be on your on your telescope last night. I said, well, there was a little bit of humidity. It was a little damp last night. But, oh, I was so glad that I got the call and went out because it is gorgeous. But mm. apparently there's about 100 a year. Wow. More wow. common than rainbows. We're just going to have to look at the moon more. Yeah, no, it was lovely. Now, we talked about a couple of weeks ago about the, the, the sun, the sunrises and, and the changes mm-hmm. in the time. Yeah. And something that we mentioned then is coming up this weekend where all the lovely progression we've been watching over the last <laughs> few weeks all gets spoiled by throwing the clocks forward yeah. again. Clocks are going spring forward, one hour less sleep, adjust everything up early and you get ready to go to bed and it's still bright. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We'll be ready for it. We'll be ready for it. We'll we could start getting ready for it now. I, I learned set your alarm t- clock half an hour earlier every day this week. I learned a term since we talked about that because I downloaded an app in my phone to be able to see this stuff and and maybe get up for them. Nautical twi- twilight, yep. civil twilight, and astronomical, an astronomical twi- twilight. What's that yes. about, Francis? So those are a measure of how dark the sky seems to be when the sun is setting. So the sun sets and it's below the horizon. You can't see the glow of the sun, but the sky is still kind of bright. Mm. So when the sun gets a little bit more below the horizon, the sky gets a little bit darker. And so that's one level of twilight. Gets a little bit lower. It's a little bit darker. Still, that's another level of twilight. Apparently it comes, the nautical twilight comes from how easy could you, if you were out in a sailing boat, could you judge where the horizon was? Right. Once you couldn't see where the horizon was clearly, that's nautical twilight. It's a measure of the darkness of it. And the most dark of them is called astronomical twilight. That's when the sun is the most set and the stars are as good as they're going to get. And you know what? In Ireland in the summer, we don't have any astronomical twilight. Do we the sun not? never sets enough. There's a glow on the northern horizon all night long. You might think it's Cork City, yeah. but no, it's it's the sun is still, because it's shining on the North Pole the whole night. Remember, yeah. Santa is working in daylight all day <laughs> long in the summer to get ready for Christmas because 
the sun is shining on the North Pole all the time. And here's so, here's another one, right, before I let you go now. Mm. I'm looking at this wonderful app that I downloaded. So it tells me that tomorrow, which is the 25th of March, moonrise is at half two in the afternoon? It is. Yeah, lovely moon. Afternoon moon. First quarter moon. Beautiful moon in the afternoon. Which is why it was so great last night, because we were, what, out about eight o'clock, nine mm. o'clock? It was almost due south. Great. So it must have risen about five or six hours earlier to have moved across the sky for us to see it in the south. Fantastic. Fantastic. Nine minus six, three. Yeah, that's about right. (laughs) Listen, it's always great to chat with you, Francis. Thanks very much. Francis McCarthy at uh, Blackrock Castle Observatory. COVID Cases Ireland is online. It's the Long COVID website. Uh, when people support each other, incredible things happen. Emma told us earlier on this morning that, that she was getting great support from that. We'll have a proper look at that website overnight and maybe come back to it and maybe talk to one or two people on it. But it's there if you're suffering from any of the things that Emma was talking about this morning and you'd maybe like to know some more and see that you're not alone. COVID cases, Ireland. .ie. That's it. The program edited by Terry Brennan, produced and researched by Fergal Barry. And we'll see you tomorrow just after night.